everybody, we continue our reading through the New Testament. Today we are in 1 John 4. John has just laid out that as children of God, those who are indwelled by the Spirit, they will live a life that seeks to lay aside lawlessness, seeks to be obedient to the Lord, and that, that obedience is most clearly marked by a genuine love for one another, a love for those in the body. But with the mention of both the necessity of abiding in the Spirit and loving one another, John now wants to instruct on how to properly discern the true Spirit of God at work and also to discern what truly is love. And that is what we find here in the fourth chapter. He writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's go ahead and stop right there. So mention of the Spirit's work, once again, has led John to warning these individuals, this church, against being too ready to believe any and every spiritual manifestation. There are lying spirits as well as the Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit is easily recognizable through the confession that Jesus Christ did indeed come in flesh. Here again, John is refuting this form of, of Gnosticism and Docetism that has been spread by these secessionists, that Christ did not really take upon flesh, one that denied the physical body of Christ. Right. So here, what becomes the yardstick for determining the work of the Spirit is its confession of Christ. And so the one of the greatest essence to know that which is truly of the Spirit of truth is to examine its understanding of Christ. If it proclaims the true Christ revealed in Scripture, it's of the Spirit. But if it undermines the nature of Christ, you can be sure it is not of the Spirit of God. And I find that so profound because in so many cases, the Christian cults that have, that have come out of Christianity, that have tried to shield or hide themselves as Christians, it is precisely in the area of Christology. I think of Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. It is in the area of their understanding of Christ that it becomes so pro profoundly clear that they, are, that they are teaching a false doctrine and that they are being led away by false spirits as opposed to the Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And so Christology, our understanding of Christ, becomes the standard of true spiritual revelation and an understanding of what truly is of the Spirit of God. And then he provides an understanding of the proper nature of love, but pointing to God himself, who is love. Verse 7 through the rest of the chapter. 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. And in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, though, God abides in us, and this love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, whoever abides in Him and He in God, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. And by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is so, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. But he who does not love his brother, whom he has not seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The word of the Lord. All this brings John back to one of his favorite themes throughout this whole book, right? Love. Love is a persistent theme for John. But the reason why that is is because what John is wanting to make clear is that love is to be the persistent theme, the predominant theme of the Christian life. Twice in this chapter, he declares that God is love. And as is proved by the Father, sending the Son to die for sinners. Love, then, is the ultimate test for being born of God and knowing God. Jesus is the proof of God's love for the world. Abiding in love, abiding in the God who is love, is dependent on the recognition of Jesus as the revelation of the being and character of love. Consequently, abiding in love is dependent on our confession of faith. Because if we truly know who Christ is, we will truly know what love is. Christian faith grows out of this confession about God's love and how the one true God has revealed himself through the Son as love incarnate. Accordingly, love incarnate must be the badge worn by the members of the community and the sign, not, the, the sign not only of who they are, but of who their God is. The language of abiding is married again with assurance. God is love, John repeats, and those who love abide in God and God eternal abides in them. And this love is perfected by all who abide in love, knowing themselves to be loved by God and in turn loving one another. The result is assurance rather than anxiety. And since faith casts out fear, love is completed wherever Jesus' example is emulated so that nothing perturbs His people as they look ahead to the day of judgment. If God revealed Himself in the world by turning His love into flesh and blood, we should realize that when we do the same, we are completing God's love. And that should increase our assurance. John stresses the priority of divine love. We love 
because God first loved us. God's love reflects us, reflects in our own love back towards God and then rebounds to others since anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And this now brings us full circle back to 1 John 3, 11 and 12, where it told us that hatred is incompatible with love. Thus, John weaves together the love command, the completing of love, and the Christological confection, uh, confession all into a form of one single story. The call to love and the command to love and the completion of love all center upon the incarnation of love in Christ Jesus. So how shall we live and how shall we love is all rooted in the person and work of Christ. And so when you ask the question, what does love look like? The answer is clear. Look to Jesus and follow in his steps. And there you will find a life of love. God bless.